I want you to open your Bibles today to Isaiah chapter 4. In the last several weeks, we've been looking at unfulfilled prophecies and seeing how God is using them in the day and age that we live in. And I never really thought so much about Isaiah 4. We looked at Isaiah 10, saw how God is using, where it talks about the Assyrian there in Isaiah 10, and what that has to do and how ISIS fits into that. We've looked at Psalm 83, we looked at Ezekiel 49, look at a lot of different scriptures of how God's taking those, and right now for such a time as this, he's just unveiling that and showing us in these last days what, uh, what it means and how it's being used. It's an interesting chapter, Isaiah chapter 4, it talks about some, a, a really terrible time that comes upon uh, Israel and, and uh, upon the face of the earth and, and battle, and that will take so many, there'll be so many lost, so many dead. And so in Isaiah 4, it talks about there'll be so many men lost that there'll be seven women to one man. And all the men said, wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, yeah, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. I, don't, <laughs> I better stop right there. I think I'm digging a bigger hole. <laughs> but, um, but I want us to look today because God really spoke to me that this is the way that, this is the, the attitude of the church today. This is the characteristics of believers and their mindset and how they look because it's interesting what these women have to say. And let's look at uh, there in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. So it said, look, you don't have to feed us. You don't have to clothe us. You know, you don't have to do anything. We'll take care of everything. I'll take care of all that. All we want is just your name so that we'll be above reproach, that it would be without disgrace, because it was a disgrace not to be able to bear children and to have a husband. But God has said that this is the attitude of the church that we're living in, in this day and age that we're living in. In the book of Revelation, when it starts out, the first three chapters talk about seven churches. These seven churches, I believe, parallel these seven women, these seven ladies that are asking and crying out to this one man who I believe represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're saying, basically what the church is saying today is, you don't have to feed us, you don't have to clothe us, all we want, just take away our reproach, take away our disgrace. What is disgrace? What is reproach? It's, it's guilt. You know, it's like, uh, you know, like, oh, I feel bad because of, uh, you know, I, I'm not there. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Take away our sin. Take away our guilt. Take away our reproach of sin. We just want you to, you know, we want to be, have your name, but uh, you don't have to do anything else. We'll take care of that. What do you think about that? Do you see anybody... Do you know any Christians that are pretty much just in name only? They've received, they believe, they've received, they've received the, uh, the bridegroom, but yet, you know, they're not necessarily eating at his table. Maybe not wearing the, the robe of righteousness that they ought to be wearing. I think it's pretty interesting. You know, this, I, I believe that this chapter of Isaiah, chapter 4, is probably... And, and this verse, chapter, verse 1, is probably the most, one of the most misunderstood that there is. And um, the application of it, I, I think, is something that we need to hear today. We are living in the last days. 
We're living in the last days. No doubt about it. Too many things happening, pointing toward what prophecy has said that will take place over the last few months and weeks. We've talked about various things. If you weren't here at the kind of the ending of last of 2014, we taught a series on the road to Armageddon. Talked about a lot of uh, end times and and um, you know just signs and, and various things like that. But look in, in Acts chapter in Acts chapter two, verse seventeen. Uh, on that day, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he said, "This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel." And it shall come to pass that in the last days, saith God, I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And, you know, I think that we're seeing that. I, I looked at some t- statistics that came in uh, various magazines that they're, you know, uh, churches and church growth and how people are attending church or not attending church, what the trends are. They do this throughout, you know, just check all the, the entire United States. Thank God, Texas, we still up there pretty good. But, uh, you know, as a whole, across the earth, across the United States, church attendance is way down, and in some places, worse than, than others. Um, and then they, they broke it down by denominationalism, and some denominations are really hit, getting hit hard. I mean, just as far as, like, losing attendance and, and no church growth. One of the fastest growing, or the ones that are maintaining the fastest growth, if there is anything, any growth that is there, and growth is a little bit short measured, but it is through the uh, non-denominational churches, which would be us. So praise God for that. That's a good thing. Uh, but, but as a whole, the, you know, people aren't that interested in church. You know, we live in a day and age where knowledge is readily available, you know. I can take out my smartphone and I can push that button there and ask Siri, you know, all kinds of questions. Siri, take me home and it'll, you know, tell me how to get home and and I can ask Siri to give me a definition of, an, of a word, and it'll do it, and all kinds of stuff. You know how that is. I mean, we have more knowledge and technology at our fingertips than Apollo 13 did, <laughs> you know, when they had to do navigating, and, and the other Apollo missions when they landed on the moon. It's just amazing what is. And that's prophesied that in the last days that knowledge will increase. Various things. We've looked at the, you know, the very, in fact, last Wednesday night, looked at uh, the different signs that show how that we're living in the last days. You know, uh, we believe that. And I think, in general, I, I think most of us understand that we're living in the last days. We're seeing things uh, in- increase through the Middle East and wars and rumors of wars. And, uh, you know, and the Bible predicts that. You know, uh, Peter... As I said there on the day of Pentecost, he said, you know, hey, in the last days, this is what's going to happen, that the Holy Spirit's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. I think that that's where we're seeing really a move through that. And uh, globally, definitely, uh, non-denominational churches and and, uh, spirit-filled churches are growing more and more. And, And Peter said that these are the last days. Then the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, um, Beginning with verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, he says, These things happen to them, speaking of Old Testament saints, these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So we get the opportunity to look back at the mistakes that everybody else made 
in the Old Testament and the various lives and accounts of, of people in the Bible. He says these things happened to them as an example and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Now he says uh, upon us, he says, the fulfillment of the ages has come. So he says, verse 12, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I really believe we need to hear and heed that warning today. Let me read that again. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10. These things happened to them as, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You think you got it all together? You think you got the plan? You think you got it all, you know, you got everything, all your ducks in a row? Uh, be careful lest you fall. The main thing is that we got to get lined up with him because God is the one that deals with seasons and times and he knows what's happening. I, I believe that 2015... The fall of 2015, September the 13th specifically, write it down, see, check, check it out. I think it's going to be, um, I think we'll see financial crash. I think we'll see markets crash. I believe gold's getting ready to go up, go crazy. So, well, the gas is down. Yeah, it sure is. Good. Praise God. Enjoy it. You know, let's enjoy while we can, you know, and, and be ready. But um, a lot of stuff is stirring in the Middle East, you know, jockeying for positions. One king died, Saudi Arabia, another one's going to come up. A lot of things are moving around. We've talked about that, and we, we talk about those things on Sunday evening. But what's going on? There's a judgment that's coming upon America specifically. And I know you don't like to hear this. I don't like, to, I don't like it myself, and I don't like to preach it, but yet I've got a responsibility to be a watchman and let you know this. See, the problem is, is that most people, we don't want to hear these kind of things, and that's why these... Seven women that come up to this one man say, you don't have to, you don't have to feed us. Don't, I, don't want to, I don't even want to listen to that stuff. You know, when we come to church, we ought to be fed, right? But yet today, we've got a bulk of churches that really aren't feeding. It's a, it's a jello diet, you know. And when I was in the hospital, I had to have be on clear liquids for a while. Sandy was in the hospital. They, they, she couldn't have anything. I don't know how many weeks it was. And they end up feeding her with a tube. You know, and they bring stuff in. And, you know, clear liquids is, is not much. And that's the kind of diet that the church is on today. But yet it's kind of a, you know, a, a pumped up with sugar and kind of make you feel real good for a while. But we walk out the door and we've got to go right back to our own problems. But we need something that when we walk out the door that we know what's going on and we can prepare for it. And be ready for it to, to do our job as a believer. And that is to pray, to stand in the gap, to intercede, to glorify God, to be light that dispels darkness, to be salt that purifies. Wherever we go, we are to help purify. That doesn't mean we go out and slap people around and tell them, how, how you lousy sinner. No, <laughs> it's to go out and show the love of Jesus Christ, but also to show that, how, that the peace of God can rest in us when everything else is falling apart. So, you know, if Peter and Paul believed that they were living in the last days, then surely we've got to be in the last hours or the last minutes. You know, in Revelation 1, John sees Jesus standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Look at that in Revelation chapter 1. Verse 14 is where it starts. He, he sees Jesus standing in the midst of the seven candlesticks. 
And it says, and when he looks, he begins to describe Jesus. Now, people, let me just tell you in advance before we read this that the, the candlesticks uh, represent the seven churches and the, um, the candles are, are the messengers to that church. And Jesus, it means then that he's, right now, he's walking in the midst of the churches. And this is the description of him. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Wait a minute, John, what's up? You're getting a little old now. He was about 90 years old then. John was the one that had his, was laying in the lap of Jesus at the Last Supper, you know, and just... He was right there real close, but boy, it got John's attention. He fell as dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Look at verse 19. Write, therefore, what you have seen what is now and what will take place later. So he's writing then about the church age, what, what John was seeing right then, what was going to take place over the church dispensation of time, and what was going to happen in the church age right up to the time when Christ comes. In the book of Revelation, the first three chapters deal with the church age, the age we're living in. But in chapter 4, it changes. And it says, and John turned, he said, and I turned and I looked, and there was a door open in front of me. And he says, I was caught up into heaven. And that catching up, that's symbolic of the rapture coming out of this church age and starting a new age. And, and that he, John was caught up there. And then he began to see things from that viewpoint, which is yet future. Right now, he's writing about what he was what has been, and for us it would be back over church history and where we are right now in the church, in the body of Christ. And he says, uh, write what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And these seven churches can represent the uh, down through the different dif- dispensational times, down through ch- the church age. You, we see that it changes, and there was different emphasis down through the church age. And so people, some people just, in their theology, just write it off, say, oh, that was all past, and it's all symbolic, and that's it. Well, it did happen that way, and there were certain emphasis as you look at the seven churches. But what it talks about is certain attitudes. Each one of these churches, when you read it, they have a certain attitude. The Laodicean church, which is the last one mentioned in chapter 3, they have this, this testimony of that they don't need anything. They're the ones that Jesus comes in Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens to me, I'll come in and sup with him, as King James says, or have fellowship with him. I'll, we'll come in and, hey, we'll have fellowship. We'll, we'll you know... I'll be with you. I'll be ready to help you in anything. You know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. So at the end of the church age, which I believe that's where we are now, Jesus is outside the church knocking, wanting to get in. To the church of Ephesus, it starts out this glorious church. They were on the right track, but they kept growing. And then it got to the point where he says, you know, you've done a good job. You've done all this stuff. He says, but, you've done, but one thing you did, you, you left your first love. 
So the beginning of the degeneration of churches is when we get all excited about church, we get all excited about Jesus, but all of a sudden then there comes a time when we're excited about it, but we're just not quite as excited about him as what we used to be. He's not our first love. He's, we love him. I mean, he's not like our first love. That's where it all starts. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand today, but maybe you've felt that attitude come on you sometime. Maybe there's been times when you've been all excited about Jesus. Man, you love him. You get back from a retreat or a you know, meeting. or a, We used to have camp meetings or certain things like that. And uh, people get all excited, get turned on for Jesus. You know, something happened, get all excited about it. But then you've got to go about your business. You go back out and, you know, you leave him there to do what he needs to do. And you're not letting him feed you. You're not letting him clothe you. You're not wearing his robe. You're not eating of his, of his manna. And pretty soon you're going about your business, but yet you find that he's not your first love. I think we need to do a teaching on these seven churches because we'll find them. They're represented right here today. We named every attitude of each one of the churches. There's somebody here today that has that attitude. So I believe that in Isaiah 4, when he says these seven women will come up to one man and say, Hey, hey, you don't have to clothe us. You don't have to feed us. Just uh, take away our reproach. And pastors and preachers in this day and age are going to be held extremely responsible for what they're doing. Because, you know, people don't want to come and feel uncomfortable in church. Right? We don't want people to feel uncomfortable. I know we got hard chairs. I'm not talking that, that kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> it's going to get better. <laughs> I mean, none of us like to look at the reality of where we really are, do we? I mean, we just want it to be okay. We want somebody to pat us on the back and say, great job, you're doing okay. Oh, don't worry about that. That's okay. You know, it's under the blood. Thank God it is under the blood. It's okay. It's all right. And let's, and, uh, you know, and our messages become motivational speeches and talks. And that's well and good. I, I, I want to motivate people. I'm an exhorter by heart. I love to motivate people. Don't get mad at me today. I'm, God's been tearing me up because of the fact that I represent the pastors of this last day age. Paul said one day, he said, I want to present you spotless before the Lord, the bride. Well, to do that, sometimes it takes a little scrubbing. You know what I'm talking about? It takes a little rigidness. It takes some washing. It takes some grooming. It takes a little snip here, a little snip there. And, you know, maybe don't, don't, eat as much of that, <laughs> or whatever, you know. But what's happening in the church today, and I remember it's been about six years ago, Steve Muncy had spoke at a camp meeting where we grew up in Topeka, Kansas. Sandy grew up in Topeka, Kansas. I moved there when I was about uh, two years old, and they had a camp meeting there. 
since 1906. Now, that's not when I moved there. <laughs> but um, so they were having this uh, 100th anniversary. I guess it was in 2006. But Steve Muncy, he pastors a church up in the, the Chicago area. What town is that he's in? Munster, Indiana. Yeah, Steve Muncy is in Munster, Indiana. Have anybody, you guys know Steve Muncy? Anyway, he's a neat guy. Got a, they got a great church there. And um, he asked me, he said, you know, I'm just really, I'm just really being burdened about some things. He said, I wanted to get some pastors together. Would you be willing to come up to, to Muncie and Annie? He said, we'll take care of the expenses and stuff, but we just need to get together. And so I thought, well, okay, I don't know what all's going on. And they had, it was a conference that they were having for their, their youth. But um, Tommy Barnett had come in and his son, Luke uh, and Mark, had come in and, or, I mean, Matthew and... Um, it was one of those, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of those. And uh, there were some guys there from New York, California, uh, up in Idaho. I represented Texas. I mean, from all over, all over. And one of the things, the questions were, you know, what do we do? What are we going to do as pastors? The, the push in the church today is to, is to not have traditional church, and I understand, you know, and things do move. I, I, I don't think we've ever had traditional church, you know. But yet we can make it a tradition. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But what the, the focus and the push has been for 20 years, really, at, at least, has been to push it on down to a 50-minute service. And, and, I, and this sounds real good because it appeals, it appeals to me. It appeals to us. It appeals to our flesh that you crunch it on down and, and you shrink it down and, and, you know, literally to where you have like 12 minutes of praise and worship. Don't go over that. You line it out. You play those songs ahead of the time. Make sure it's right on the, the money. You get it. I mean, it's all programmed through to where, you know, we can't have Charlie come up here and talk anymore. We've got to have it, you know, and I don't mind have it, having a video that maybe tell us what's going on and stuff like that, but it's so cl- into the clock order that you get down to about a seven-minute sermon that's, you know, illustrated through enough to just that everybody's encouraged and feel good and, and out we go, and, and maybe even that it's broadcast in from, various, from one location to various other locations so that we can, get our, we can check it off the list. We did church. We did church. But did church do us? I'm not judging any churches today. Lord, help me. I'm not. I'm standing here to tell you what day and age we're living in. If we don't understand the times we're living in, then... We'll get run over, and some, God's moving, and what He does will slap us and knock us over, and we won't know what hit us. But we need to understand what's going on. And so basically what the church, I'll say 75%, 80% of the push is to bring this thing down, to dumb down in a sense, dumb down the teaching to where don't teach about conviction. People don't want to feel uncomfortable. Don't even ask someone to... Uh, don't even have them bow their heads and raise their hands. That's uncomfortable. People don't want to be uncomfortable, you know, and, and uh, don't do that. Let it be at a different time, some other place, somewhere, because people don't want that, you know. Uh, you know, Joe Smith that comes in, John Doe that comes in, that, that's not what they want, and we want to get people into the church. And so, you know, the whole thing on this conference was, what are we going to do? How can you tell the third person of the Godhead who is the Holy Spirit, how much time we're going to let him have. If anybody in here is big enough to do that, you need to come on up because I'm not big enough to tell him that. I, I mean, and he might, you know, 
you know, we start to do things in a way of where it's just like these seven women in Isaiah 4. You don't have to feed us. Don't get into that real deep stuff because, oh, man, makes me feel like, like I'm not any good. It makes me feel like I need to do something that, that I don't, it makes me feel like I'm not close to God in that area of my life. It's conviction. And I want to tell you something. I don't like conviction any more than anybody else does. But I can tell you this. The only way that you're going to ever grow and get close to God is when you're convicted enough that you leave that behind and you take another step forward. When you have to make a decision, just like Moses told the people that day, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. God and His blessings, or you're going to serve death and curses. Life is lived on levels and arrived at in stages. You've heard me say that before. And, you know, when we're on a certain level, it always starts out exciting. But we get, as we start to get to the end, we kind of get it figured out. I never was into video games because I knew I, my character and my nature being competitive and, and, and kind of a perfectionist in some areas, I, I probably wouldn't be able to put the thing down. So I just don't trust myself there. But I did watch <laughs> to see how, and you know, they get to a certain level, because I knew this because when we'd call us time to eat, oh, I'm on such and such level, I'm about ready to get the, go through the door and get the pot of gold, or I'm about to kill something, or whatever, I don't know, I'm right there, just a few more minutes, you know, <laughs> and so anyway, you get on that certain level, and you know that, and, and you can progress, how many people have not all the time, but you have seen or at least been around and heard somebody talk about video games and various levels, okay? So you get at a level, so then you, can, you find out how to get past that level, so you can do what? Go to the next level, right? So life is like that, and the more you do it, you, and you're on that level, you get familiar with that level, you learn something, which we are, we're supposed to, and so we get to another stage of where now then... It's time for us to grow. Grow and go. (laughs) Go up to the next level. Grow with God. But I can tell you in your Christian life, when you get to that next stage, when you're on this level and you get to that next stage, that next stage says, okay, here's what's going to cost you to get to the next level. You got to put off something so you can put on something. See, we put on Christ Jesus. And uh, if you think you are standing firm... You think you know it all? You think you don't have anything else to confess before him? Be careful that you don't fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Sometimes we think we got this thing down. We, we, know, how to, we know how to praise God. We, got, we know how to do. We got it. I mean, we, we're spiritual. I've heard, you know, I've heard this. I've heard and I've heard. Yeah, great. So now Live. I can tell you it always costs you something to go to the next level. And God doesn't want us to stay stagnant. He wants us to go to the next level. So we put that off and we go on. But here's the thing. The way God does that, when he designed the body of Christ, that's what the New Testament tells us. And in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, this is the mystery, this great mystery, Paul says. It was hidden from all ages. He said it was only revealed to me. He says that, you know, Christ is in you. 
He's in you, the hope of glory. We don't have to have a tabernacle someplace. We don't have to have a holy of holies over here, a building that we can go to. Hey, we are the temple of the living God. You know, and he says, and this is the this is this great mystery in 310 that through us, through the church, that he might just confound principalities and powers, that he would make his manifold wisdom, his his the many dimensions of his wisdom to shine out through the church to principalities and powers, to those rulers. That's what his purpose is. And so through us is how he works. And through us, he develops us and makes us more like him. We are changed from glory to glory. Some of you need to get your next glory because the glory you got right now is starting to stink a little bit. I'm, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> we got... Come on, you know I love you. You ever notice that you don't ever know that you stink when you stink? But everybody else does? Maybe I should have said it this way. Ladies, when you put on perfume or guys, you put on cologne, maybe you might smell it right at first, but after a while you don't smell it anymore. And then you, like the next day or something, you grab a shirt or you grab a blouse or something like, oh, I smell my perfume on there, right? And you, but you had just kind of become, you know, numb to it. So that's better than saying that you stink. <laughs> but don't you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we don't know it until somebody tells us, right? Well, I'm telling you. <laughs> some of you need to change cologne, put some cologne on or anoint with oil. You need to get rid of the stink and get to the next level and change your clothes. Be washed in the word and be cleansed in him. And he's saying that we need to do this. And so, you know, how much more, if we see this through, the, through what the Apostle Paul is saying, what Peter says, what the prophets are saying, and how miraculously we're seeing prophecies that's been, that have been dormant for years coming to pass. Tonight we're going to show the video, The Harbinger. It was the number one seller on the New York Times list for several months in a row. And uh, so you don't have to read the book. You can come and watch it and you don't have to read the book. But he talks about these harbingers, these things that are signs that are all all of a sudden revealed to show how prophecy is being fulfilled. Wake up, America. This thing he tells about how through 9-11, what has happened and prophesied. And you, you read it right there in the word. And then the next moment you see one of our members of Congress saying almost the exact same thing and I know they're not led by God, but God used Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and used a donkey. So that's why I've always had hope that he would anoint me when I preach. I figure he spoke through the donkey. He can use me. But anyway, Paul, well, they're saying, wait a minute, we think we got it because we get on this level. And what happens is, is we start to get bored in a sense. And lethargy kind of sets in because we're just not as excited about him as we used to be. And people, if that's where you are, that's when you better slap yourself and wake yourself up. I don't know if you, I've done a lot of traveling and, and some of us been by myself or when other people are asleep. And if you're driving, you have the responsibility of that vehicle. And have you ever been driving and find yourself really like tired or all of a sudden you, like this and you wait, oh my goodness. So you roll down the window, you do something, you do something to wake yourself up. It's bad enough in a car, but when you start doing that on a motorcycle, that gets exciting. That'll get your heart pumping. That only happened once, and that was after a, 
17-hour day that we had before, we hit 777 miles. The next day, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, sun was just beautiful through some really nice little swooping mountains like this. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what? I kind of dozed off. So that's it. We're stopping. That's it. You better recognize the signs when you're falling asleep spiritually. That's it. Stop. We've got to do something about this. Got to do something about this. Whoa. Wake me up, Jesus. Shake me. Wake me up. Slap me in the face if you need to. You know, wake me up because this isn't the end of the journey. I got more to go. Wake me up. The Word of God ought to slap us in the face sometime. I don't apologize for the Word of God. It ought to shake us. And you know what? When that happens and it saves our life, then we're, we appreciate it. So John writes in Revelation chapter 1, he says when he sees this Jesus, this, this, the one that's walking now in the midst of the seven churches, the one that these seven want to, to just to take his name. They just want salvation. So and see, again, preachers are guilty of it because it's like, and, and I, I give invitations. I want to give an invitation at, every, at the close of every service. I will today because I don't want to run the risk of somebody just assuming that they are. But if that's all that there is, and if that's all that the church is presenting, that's good, but yet the day and hour we're living in is not good enough. Oh, that's hard to say. Don't take me wrong on this. Don't, don't misquote me on this. I'm not saying that salvation is way below us. No, it's the greatest miracle that could ever happen. The way that God made a way for us to be united with Him. But what happens is, is that we don't want Him to clothe us now. We just, want to, we just want to get the guilt away. I just want my retirement plan. I just want to make sure I, I, I'm not facing the, the, you know, the flames of hell, but I want to do the, my own thing while I'm here. Come on now. I know y'all aren't like that because you're here today. You know, we, we, we're glad we're saved. Like that one guy asked me one time, you smile a lot. Okay. Why are you always smile? I says, well, one reason, because I'm not going to hell. <laughs> you know, that's enough to smile, you know. I mean, thank God I'm not going to hell. But, but yet, though, if that's the only thing that, that we have and nobody's teaching you and you're not allowing Christ to say, wait a minute, I got more food here than just the baby food. How many of you have eaten some baby food lately? Well, I had to be on, yeah, what was that? Had to have, or Sandy had the only thing, it was like the, the real soft stuff. So I went and bought some baby food. They said she could have some baby food. So I thought, well, I wonder what she's going to like the best. So I was tasting it. Oh, my goodness. No wonder kids spin it back out and runs all over. It's like, my word. This is horrible stuff, right? It's good. At one time in your life, it was good. But I don't want that anymore, right? Amen. Throw something on the grill, man. <laughs> you know? Give me some, you know, that roasted corn and a, and a steak and give me a, one of them big potatoes and 
let's have something to eat now. <laughs> don't be bringing that baby food stuff out anymore. But that's what we settle for. Oh, you don't have to feed me, Jesus. I got it down. If I want to know something, I'll just ask Siri. <laughs> oh, there you go. I asked her about that, and she says, I'm, I don't talk about spiritualism. I talk about uh, what? Siliconism. Siliconism for the chips. We've got to be careful, people, because the church in Laodicea said, I am well, I'm clothed and well fed, and I have need of nothing. We don't need anything. We really don't need anything except spiritual growth, except a closer walk. We used to sing that old song. You know, just a closer walk with thee. Wow. Just a cl- If we got up every morning and hit the floor and said, Father, before I take another step, I want to set myself apart to just have a closer walk with you today than I had yesterday. To have a desire for that. And so Jesus told John, you take some notes here, what you see. Because I'm walking in the midst of the churches. If you don't think Jesus is here today, you're mistaken. You don't think he's walking right up and in between every one of these aisles and looking you over? Oh, okay, you turned the page. That one's blank, but I know you got notes on the other page, right? Hmm. Yeah, okay, we got some notes there. When them ushers are taking, receiving the offering, you think he's looking? I do. You know Why? Because he had his disciples there in the temple and they were receiving offerings. And he watched it. He says, and this one guy put in a whole bunch and, a, and the widow put in her mite. And he says, hey, guess who gave the most? They were watching. He says, she gave all she had. And he, he you know, he's doing this just to, for show. He watches that. We don't like, oh, I don't, don't tell me that, pastor. <laughs> Jesus is watching me. Where can I go? There you can't go nowhere but to the Lord. Oh, I wish we could sing that old spiritual song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but to the Lord. He's watching. Why? Because he is the head of the church. And, and I'm telling you, he's not walking through here like he did when he walked on the face of the earth, meek and mild. No. John describes him with his eyes are, are like flames of fire, his feet like bronze or burning, glowing brass. What does that mean? That means judgment. When he looks with his eyes, he's discerning, burns off all the dross, burns everything else away. The facade that you put on to everybody else and to yourself, he sees right through it. He knows the very thoughts and intents of your heart. And as he walks and he takes a step in our life and through this church, he's judging every one of us. And seeing what our response is to him. Wow, pastor, what is wrong with you? (laughs) I had a little talk with Jesus. (laughs) And he's a little upset. I shared with you, after I had an experience, October the 19th, 2013, that I died three times, and I was really put out that I had to come back. And he just kind of got in my face. He says, you can come when I tell you to come. I was like, well, I didn't even have one of those really neat see the light type things. <laughs> no, you got to take me to the gates of hell. Thanks. 
I now I know what I'm worth to you. <laughs> you know? But he says, get my people ready. Prepare a bride. Other churches maybe have some other responsibility. What I think that this, what the Spirit of the Lord is saying is, let's get ready. Get ready. Revelation 19.7 says, his bride, King James says, his wife hath made herself ready. We're to make ourselves ready. So there gets a time when, yeah, you have to be fed because you can't, a baby can't necessarily feed itself. They wear it, right? They wear the, the food. But it gets a time when you're expected to sit at the table and eat right. Right? Keep your elbows off the table, put your phone away. I never had that problem when I was growing up. I don't know. And, uh, but, you know, we were expected to, to eat, right? You're expected to eat. If, and if you're just waiting for one hour a week on Sunday morning, you're starving yourself to death. And, and you're, you're starving yourself. You need to say, hey, Jesus, I need to talk to you today. John, the one that had his head in the lap of Jesus at the, the last supper, it falls at his feet as though dead now because, oh, man, you are serious. He is serious. The seven candlesticks represent the seven churches. That's what he says and that... Uh, and that's the entire body of believers globally. He's checking us out. And, uh, you know, what I'm hearing back from him is he's not very pleased with the church today. Because he, it is that Laodicean time of when he's on the outside knocking, trying to get in. You know, oh, well, we'd love to have you, but we, we got our 50 minutes set. We got to get... You know, just don't know where we could work you in. Gosh, because we got this thing so scrunched down, so whittled down to just fits just right that, hmm, uh, I don't think there's any place for you right now. Would we ever tell him that? No. Does it happen? It won't happen here. Praise God. Jesus walks in the midst of these seven churches, these seven candlesticks. I want to tell you, people, I had an experience with the Lord when I was at an altar, not this altar. I was in a church, and I was praying. I was on my knees praying. It was, early, it was a, you know, I got there about 6 o'clock that morning, and the Lord began to speak to me in some things. And, uh, I mean, it startled me because it was about that church. And he said, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm out of here. What? What? And I turned around, and what I could see through my spiritual eyes and discernment or, and vision or whatever was, I saw walking out, because I was over like at that side, up, again, it wasn't here, but going out this altar out was a very large physique of what was, I just really understood to be an angel. And this all came to a reality here that he says, I will remove my angel. The angel of that church is the messenger of that church. I believe that every church that, that exists that's under God, that God calls and ordains, He places there, let's say an angel, as He says here in, in Revelation, so that that church has the right to exist as a church. And you can have church. You can cook hamburgers and not be McDonald's. Wait a minute, I don't even like that 
let's not even use hamburgers. <laughs> but a franchise, there's certain things and there's certain standards and certain ways that whatever. And, and you know, you do certain things and, and God says, hey, you know, okay, I've called. And first of all, there's got to be a calling. There's got to be a, a setting in order. I have no doubt at all that God called and ordained this church. And I didn't want to be a part of it. <laughs> I'm serious. I didn't. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, making just being happy, being an associate pastor. And God called and I stopped on I-44, pulled off to the side of the road, with my hands squeezing that steering wheel saying, no, don't take me back down there to Alvin, Texas. Please, Jesus, I'll do anything. I'll even go to Africa. Well, I thought that was bad. And here we went to Africa, 18 churches there. But here I is. I wouldn't want to be anyplace else. I didn't realize how nice this place was. And it's so nice because we've got such great people down here. Wow. So I just say I'm a Texan now because we've been down here now, I guess, originally from 1980, yeah, 1981, something like that. So I'm just, I'm a Texan. My dad was a Texan. My mother was an Okie. So I'm taking on my dad's side. That's what it is. I'm a Texahoman. <laughs> but God gives the right to exist as a church and God ordained this. And he said, I am sending you there to raise up an army of believers who are being encouraged in heart, united in love, and experiencing the full riches of complete understanding that they can go and bring forth fruit. That's a three-stage thing that this church is responsible for, being encouraged in heart. Most of the time when people come to Light Christian Center, they've come through something. They've, they've come through something. And there's a cycle of time when, you, when God encourages you and, you're, and you find encouragement here. And, but then after that cycle, that's that one stage. There's another, now you're, at a, you're ready to go up. You're at a stage now you've got to go to another level, and that is being united in love. Be, become a part of this body. Become a functioning part of this body. You know, and caring about one another. And, and just like Charlie was telling the, a while ago about uh, Tim and... And, and Emily, that man, Wade was right there just at that time. And then here comes Chantel and Eric. They're there when they need them to be there. Well, Pastor, I thought that's your job. Oh, yeah, right. I'm sorry, but I ain't God. And I can't be every place at, at the same, you know, all the time. He didn't design any one person to do that. That's why he made a body, because we can all be there when we need to be there. And that's what makes things, that's what makes a difference. That's where we begin to live that life. Does it cost you something? Yes, it costs you something. It costs you getting up off of your blessed assurance, getting in your car or getting in the kitchen and fixing something or preparing a lesson or just drop, you know, shaking all the old junk off of your shoulders so you can go encourage somebody else. But it's part of being being the body of Christ. A lot of people like to go where nobody knows if they're there or they're not there. And I understand that. I, I've been there. <laughs> but you know what? It's also kind of nice to know that somebody cares about you. You know, and it's not about what we do. It's, it's just about who we are. We're a part of something. 
encouraged in heart, united in love, and then experiencing the complete riches, or experiencing the riches of complete understanding. People, there's more in this book than Christ dying on the cross. Don't you dare take that wrong. That was the beginning, not the ending. That's where the church started, not where it ended. He died to save us, but he rose to enable us to go and do what he's called us to do. And so if I only give out baby food, you're never going to grow. And so there's some riches in it when it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that was there. I'm amazed every day when I come across certain things like, I know I've read that, I know I've read that. How come this is so real today? God says just because it's time for it to come up now. It's time for it to come up now. I want to be a pastor that understands the times, not so that we can slap somebody over the head, but we can understand it and look at it, take an honest look at it. Whether it's good or bad or whatever or indifferent, we need to know about it so then we can do what we need to do and ask God to enable us to do whatever we need to do to, to get through this thing. And as we're getting through it, not just barely make it through, but to help win the lost and develop the saved in the midst of it. I said a while ago that watch for September the 13th, or around that time, sometime around through that end, I think, I think it's going to get tough. So you need to be careful what you're doing. But you need to be in a position so that if you're, if you're in a position for that, you can help others when, when things hit. You know? Let's be first responders. Wouldn't that be cool? Like they say, some people run out of the fire and there's other people who run into the fire. You know, it might cost us to go help to go into somebody's fire. If Eddie's having some difficult times, I might need to step into his fire and help rescue him and help him out. When we did a lot of hurricane uh, stuff, you know, we had to go into some places that stunk and refrigerators have been sitting there and all that garbage, but we need to go in there and help those people get that cleaned out so they can come back and have a fresh start. Sometimes people's lives are like that. They got stuff in their lives that's stinking, and we got to maybe be the person that helps to go there and help rescue them from perishing. I got a whole lot more to say on this because, you know, this thing at the top, when it prints out, it says three of 17. And I hadn't even got to three. I think I skipped two because I got carried away. I bring them because if I don't, y'all will think, you know, he don't do nothing. <laughs> this is the thought today because he wants us to be the body. He didn't want just, you know, well, okay, I don't, he, he took my reproach. He took my sin. I'm saved. Wow, that's good. I got fire insurance. I'm going to go out here and live like I want to live. But Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24, he said there were two women in the field. One was taken, one was left. Two men were there, one was taken, one was left. Time's coming, people, when there's going to be a taking out of this thing. This tribulation time is coming. You think it's bad now. It ain't getting started. It's not even getting started yet. But when it does get started, there's a promise. Because one of those churches... And we'll talk about this next week. You, don't miss it. But the Philadelphia church, he says, because you've kept the word of my patience and have not denied my name, I'll keep you from that hour of trial that's coming upon the whole earth. Seven-year tribulation's coming. And you might be beyond reproach in the sense that 
you know you're saved and the guilt's gone. But if you're out here, as he says in Matthew 24, eating and drinking with the drunkard, and what robe you had now is all spotted, and you can't tell the difference between you and the next person because all you're concerned about, you don't have to clothe us, you don't have to feed us, just get, take away my sin, my reproach, my guilt. I want to go out here and do what I want to do. They're going to stay and they'll go through this thing. I want to go to, to Hawaii. <laughs> I want to go to heaven. I want to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to be a bride, the bride of Christ. And, because, and, and for that, he says, yeah, it does cost a little bit extra. Here's what it costs you. It costs loving him. Like you really love him, not just like, hey, will you marry me so I'll be beyond reproach? I don't care if we got six other wives. It doesn't matter really because that's, that's not happening anyway because I'm not living there. I just want your name so I'm, my guilt's gone and the stigma's gone. So you can do what you want to do. Does that work for you, ladies? <laughs> Or how about guys are like, okay, yeah, I got seven wives. I don't know where they are. <laughs> One's sleeping with somebody else, and the others, oh my goodness, they're all they're a mess, but they're my wives. And I'm sure he'd be ridiculed. What kind of mess is that? That's what Isaiah is saying here. And Jesus says, No, I don't I don't want that, huh? You my bride, you're my bride. I'm gonna love you, and you love me. You love me and only me. You put me first. I'll put you first. That's what he's saying. I'm not concerned about, yeah, he wants us to, he wants to take away our guilt and our sin. But why? So we love him. It is about love. You know? It's not all this condemnation. You know, we, sometimes we feel, we feel that conviction. We don't like to feel it, but yet... He loves us enough to at least tell us that so that we can step away from that and come closer to him. You know, and if he comes up to you and says, you know, I love you so much, but this one thing is really, it, it's offending me. And we need to talk about it so that we can be closer than, than what we were. That's why Jesus comes up to us and he, tell, he identifies things in our life. And he says, I love you. There's nothing you can do to keep me from loving you. But can we talk about this issue right here? It really, it's offensive to me. And I don't want anything standing between us.